Welcome, everybody, to the Night Watch Games podcast. Uh, this is episode 10. I've actually lost count, so I'm just going to say 10 because it sounds really impressive. Uh, and I have a guest with me today, Scott Hone. He's actually from Melbourne, Australia. Hi, everybody. Thank you for listening. And thanks, Park, for inviting me here on the podcast. It's so exciting. The BMX show that I do is Scott's BMX Trick Bike Show, and the channel is, it is Scott Hone. Yeah. I think the link is BMX Bandit, dude. You have 130 videos. You're getting very close to 1,000 subscribers. Oh, that's so exciting. Isn't that cool? Um, I've met you through YouTube as a trick writer and your shows. Let's talk about where you were before that. Okay. Well, I think we're going all the way back to 1998. And I just finished university and I was a school teacher in a small country town in northern New South Wales in Australia. So that's on the East Coast and it's a lovely, lovely place. In front of the kids, it was great um, teaching in front of the kids, but there are a lot of other things that teachers need to do as a part of their teaching and reporting. And um, I found out very quickly that my way of thinking did not fit in with the New South Wales Department of Education. In 1999, I went to a circus festival and thought, what am I doing teaching? I I don't want to be a teacher. I want to be a part of the circus. This is where I need to be. So since then, I've been trying to join the circus and moved across the hill into a little tiny town called Mullumbimby that had a community circus and trained there and I helped teach there and got fit and got flexible and then applied for the circus school that was starting up down in Melbourne in 2001 and got in. And so I moved to Melbourne. That's where the circus began. Then I got picked up by the leading contemporary circus here in Australia called Circus Oz. And they tour around all over Australia and all over the world. And I was doing my BMX bike tricks. And so I toured with them for a number of years, finished after about five years because my body was just, I was getting injured and the injuries weren't getting better quickly. And so my body needed a break. So I left the circus, got married, started a family, uh, went back to the circus a few times since then. We're coming up to the to 2014 and 2015, and I was freelance performer, performing BMX tricks and juggling, as well as freelance photographing. And that's when I had uh, had a contact find me on the web and said, hey, can you do a show for us for this kids festival? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And then spent the next three months going, oh crap, what what am I going to do? Oh crap, I don't have a show. Oh crap, what am I going to do? Called up a friend and I had some ideas and he helped me formulate these ideas. That's where my show was created. And since then I've been performing this show and refining it pretty much every show I think about the show before and refine what I've done and Oddly enough, you make mistakes or things happen which take you on a new direction and introduce you to things that you wouldn't normally have done had those mistakes not happened. And the show gets better. I've been focusing more and more on the show, less and less on, because more recently I have gone back to casual relief teaching. So the last three or four years I've been casual relief teaching. And this year, I've um, since the pandemic, sort of everything's opening up. I've been able to perform more and more and I haven't been teaching at all this year. I have been doing my show and when I'm not doing my show, I'm doing some photography. The story of Scott. Well, you and I have some very interesting parallels. I was a teacher as well. Uh, I taught high school at my high school alma mater and two years into that stint, I quickly realized my temperament was not conducive to 
handling rebellious boys. <laughs> so, <laughs> see, uh, I encouraged the rebellious boys. <laughs> oh my goodness, I I should have. I think I'd probably be a better teacher now than I was back then, but. They did not respond to me well. So I understand the frustration of being in a setting that doesn't really feel right for you. And of course, we share the commonality of BMX, doing tricks, and you're swing dancing with your bicycle. If we just had the right music. Yeah. I've been doing it. I've been riding BMX bikes since I was 13, like doing tricks on BMX bikes. It's something that I've always done. And oddly enough, that's how I got into the circus because they liked the bike tricks. I thought circus was juggling and acrobatics and tumbling and doing those sorts of tricks. Never thought the BMX could be a part of the circus. In fact, that's what they loved. And I had this amazing, unique act, which involved the violinist. And she played, she joined me on stage, played with me. And it was a, an equestrian type of feel where she was the horse trainer and the bike and I were, ah. were being trained. She eventually just really got into being on stage and being part of the act. And so if I would fall off or fall off or mess up, she would walk up to me and with the bow just sort of jam it underneath my chin. So I'm like, oh. <laughs> and she was like, do it again. And I'm like, no. She's like, now like okay okay okay, okay. I'm doing it. and it was it was really quite special it was um because the music was lovely and then the band would kick in and the, the energy would increase and then the last trick i'll do would be standing on the handlebars tension and i'll leap off the handlebars grab the bike we would throw our arms up in the air as the compliment and the audience would just explode it was phenomenal that's going to be addicting, the uh, the crowd response and the feedback. Oh, it is absolutely intoxicating. It is really quite phenomenal. However, doing shows in schools and touring around the country, you feel like this rock god. You're like, <laughs> you're there. They're yeah. screaming at you. They're screaming. It's tearing the fabric of space-time. It's hurting your ears <laughs> so loud. They, they just love you so much and... And they just say, great show. And they just want to be around you and, and tell you that their uncle's got a bike and tell you that their dad bought them a bike and that they've got a bike and tell you that they've got a dog and just be around <laughs> you. And you pack up, you walk outside and you're a nobody. You're nothing. It's so such a bizarre thing. It's so, Yeah, the roller coaster so of emotion and identity. My uncle was a clown. I don't think he was part of the circus, but he did something very similar to you where he would go to schools and he would do a show. And he's uh, of the older generation where the bike was a unicycle. And he also had the front wheel, which was totally detached from the unicycle. So when he would do oh, a yeah. wheelie, he would just lift up the front and, you know. Yeah, um, very good fun. Yeah. And when I started learning BMX tricks, he was the one that taught me the magic of linking one trick to another so that the whole show kind of flowed. Uh, how did you get into the YouTube presentation of this pastime? It's like this thing you hear about the YouTubers just earning ridiculous amounts of money <laughs> yeah. and like insane amounts and, and like seven-year-old kids just earning millions a, a, a month. I, I kind of liken YouTube to to a performance, not not just being on stage, but being watchable, being something that the audience can enjoy and will want to watch. 
you have to find what it is for you. So I started out um, and I had an idea. I'll, I'll teach some tricks, some basic BMX tricks to get people started. Made a big intro and, and put all my effort into making these videos and just stopped after, I think, 10 videos or eight videos and just didn't have the energy for it. That was in about 2019. And the videos didn't do very well. And I'm like, why? They're, they're good videos. And of course, watching them later, just you just go, oh, this is so <laughs> hard to watch. I kind of didn't worry, didn't think about it until a friend posted something on Facebook saying that YouTube sent him an email saying that he can now get paid. And he made two cents, I think it was. And I'm like, what? So that made me rethink everything and thought, okay, if my friend who who doesn't know how to edit, who doesn't know how to um, edit video or do audio, has taught himself to learn to edit audio and video and make YouTube videos. If he can get a 1,000 subscribers, surely it's possible. I thought about it for a long time and thought, well, it's got to be easy because editing video, video is so time-consuming. It just it has to be easy and I have to be able to do it easily and quickly. And, and that's when I started recording my videos and then putting a voiceover over the top. A couple of my videos were actually doing well. And that suddenly, instead of having 37 subscribers, I had 68 subscribers. Maybe I can do this. And that's when I thought it's got to be easy. I've got to be able to do it quickly. It has to be consistent. And most of all, it, it must be sustainable because I need to be able to do it while I still live my normal life. I went off to the uh, net, the tennis courts that are about a two-minute ride from where I live and started filming what I do and kept doing it, oddly enough. <laughs> How long does it take for you to edit um, one writing session so that you get a video oh, out of it? Around six hours, uh, probably six to eight hours. And then you export it and then you've got to find the thumbnail because apparently on YouTube, thumbnails are the most important thing. I'm terrible at that. But the video is also super important. The filming would be maybe a quarter of it. The editing would be another two quarters, a half of it. And then the rest of it is all making sure everything works. Is it still enjoyable for you? It's really amazing. And it blew me away that people like what I'm doing and people are subscribing. Wow. <laughs> and then what's happened is people have been contacting me and saying, hey, I really like your videos. You maybe want to get out and ride again. And I've got to start riding. I know nothing about current bikes. Um, what do you recommend? And it's just been incredible that I've had all these people from all over the world get in touch and say, hey, I like what you're doing. <laughs> please keep doing it. Hello from Germany or hello from, from Singapore or hello from Hong Kong or hello from a little tiny island in the middle of the Pacific. Wow, the, the community is fantastic. I think people are responding to you as a person and not necessarily the content itself. What would you think of that? Well, I think there's a lot into what you're saying there. And I think being likable and watchable when you're on stage, the skills don't matter. When you're on stage, uh, or particularly with circus, when you're on stage, the audience 
doesn't really understand what it's like to climb up a pole or to yeah. catch somebody in the flying trapeze or to stand up on the handlebars of a bike or to juggle five things and keep them in the air for a sustained amount of time or to have four people standing on you while you're riding a bike or what the audience relate to is you as a person. For me, this is where clowning, the art of clowning is so important and about being open and honest. It's refining this art. They like you as a person or as an artist or as a performer, or they like you. You can do whatever your audience likes, likes you and likes the way you do it. There's a circus school here in Melbourne and you can see the young circus performers and they all seem to be, a, it's about the trick and getting the trick and throwing and nailing the trick and it's all about the trick. And then you watch them on stage and you go, yeah, okay, the skills are good, but the performance is, I was really bored and actually I want to leave because I, I just don't want to watch this anymore. Whereas there are other people that necessarily don't necessarily have the skills, you can just watch them. Just they don't need to do anything on stage. You just watch them. And um, I'm always trying to refine my craft. It's about being open and honest and and exactly what you're saying is, is people, and this is with other YouTubers that I watch as well, and I notice that I like watching them. Uh, I'm responding to you. So there's, there's, <laughs> one, there's one guy. I could see these very talented BMX riders that are doing these very modern tricks with no brakes and they just spin and jump and twirl. And it is so amazing. As you said, it's unrelatable. It is so good that I can't relate to it. And I even know what scuffing is. Yeah. And and I find (laughs) it boring. And there's nothing about their personality that I'm latching onto watching them do these amazing tricks. There's stuff that, the competition pro riders are doing are just absolutely mind-blowing. Physics bending, yeah. Phenomenal that you can actually do this sort of thing on a bike. It's it's really amazing. However, it just looks like you're spinning around in circles and you just keep spinning around in circles. And that's all you're doing for like three or four minutes is spinning around in circles. And if you aren't familiar with the craft, it's just like, okay. It's, it's like juggling after... 15 seconds of juggling, it's sort of boring, the same. And ballet is probably similar. It's like, wow, they, these dancers are amazing, but they just do the same thing um, to the non-expert. This is where performing comes into it or inviting the audience in or I, I know that I'm nowhere near as good as these competition pro riders. Like tricks that I do in the show are unique and the, you can tell the difference between them and they're presented in a way that is is different for every trick. Have you considered that your show tells a story, that there's a beginning Absolutely. and a middle and an end to the sh- We talk about your bar ride being the culminating climax. Yes. And if there's no story... If there's no story, it becomes a sequence of tricks and gets boring after mm-hmm. five minutes mm-hmm. because it's just another trick and another trick. Although when I'm at an event or somewhere like that and I'm just doing roving, entertaining, um, I will come up to someone and, and say, hey, would you like to see a trick? Or what about another trick? What? But then the personality becomes a part of it and yeah. the way you respond to the people and you interact, that becomes important. A, a walk, almost like a glass plate in between the audience and myself and I'm behind it doing tricks and they can just look in and then keep wandering off like a yeah. like the aquarium. Well, I think that's what the YouTube channel is about is it's not necessarily you dazzling us with your tricks. 
it's the story of Scott and his progression and his setbacks and his resilience and then his <laughs> his progression again. It's it's that story. That's what I'm buying into when I watch your channel. But what happens next? What happens next week? What happens when he gets <laughs> when he recovers from his broken foot? What happens with the girl from the vineyard? It's the story <laughs> of Scott. I think that's why people are responding to you is because you definitely have a story to tell and you're unabashedly telling it. Well, that's uh, so bizarre because I, I, I'm i aware that there needs to be something like that in order to be watchable. At the same time, I always thought, well, I'm not very interesting. I'm actually really quite boring. I don't really know if I, this will work and it probably won't work, but that's okay. It's okay to fail. Got to be okay with just being crap and failing <laughs> yes, and being I terrible. Agree. And just having it not work, even though you really want it to work, just just not working. And that's okay. And it kind of becomes funny. And I'm okay with being funny. I never thought of being like that or that I could be like that. But I think it's another learning thing of being, it's okay to have a story. Like for such a long time, I, I don't like listening to music with words in it because it, it's just... It, for a lot of it just seems to be people moaning and complaining about stuff that I don't really care for. I'd listen to a lot of music without words for that reason. I've never, ever, ever, I, I, I think, have been a good storyteller. Like I'd love to be a good storyteller, but I go to tell a story and it's, I'm just terrible. <laughs> just fizzles out into nothing. I'm like, oh, you need a little no. more Irish blood in you. Um, <laughs> Us Irish are really good at stories. Well, I find that when... When I saw your video and I was doing a lot of video watching, there's a couple of other YouTube personalities that I really latched onto for the exact same reason. That was I could relate to their story. I could relate to their their failures and their frustrations. And I could also relate to their successes and their celebrations. And I felt like I was there with you. And I was living vicariously through you. And the fact that you kept going and there's video after video of you keeping going is that empowered me to keep going as well. I don't know if you've yeah, heard wow. of Matt Jones. He's a, a mountain biker that does tricks and he's just a, a young kid. He must be about 26 or so, but just a super likable guy. There's no crazy ego or aggression about him. And so I really related to him. He's out of the UK and I came across you, but then I came across hundreds of these guys that are really good that I just didn't like. Always blown away that people are watching, that they would take the time out to get in touch that's not via a YouTube comment, as well as all the people that do comment and, and, and say they've started writing again. They're inspired to go out yeah. and ride now after watching the video. And it's like, oh, that's awesome. I like bikes and I want to encourage, try and encourage as many people as possible to ride their bikes because bikes are just great. You're not relying on anything else, on anybody else. You're not relying on petrol um, to get you somewhere. It's just, if you want to go, you go. What, where is Scott in five years? Where would you want yourself to be and what would you be doing in, say, five years if things worked out the way you want? I would love to be touring theatres all across Australia, all around the world, doing, doing shows. Um, I would particularly love to be going to places via sponsors and with other people's money to help the disadvantaged kids that that we don't know or see about that 
that are out there living their lives that just don't have anything like what we've got here and to to get them onto bikes to make their lives better. Uh, I want to be able to make the world better. So I'd love to be able to to have a say and to be able to to do things that make a difference. That's what I'd like. So it's about learning and refining the vision that I have to be able to do what I want to do. And like it's happened throughout my whole life. Like I wouldn't have been able to stick with the circus for as long as it was if I hadn't done that two years of teaching. I wouldn't have been able to do that two years of teaching if I didn't do my university degree. If I hadn't done the university, done teaching, I wouldn't have been able to deal with the circus. But it's all this and what I'm doing now that will give me the foundation to be able to do what I want to do. That's the scary part is I can't imagine what's after this. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Well, that's cool. So uh, is Scott happy? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) (laughs) Short answer, yes. But there's a lot more to it, a lot more to it. Where I am right now, I'm in such a privileged position to just after one in the afternoon on a Thursday afternoon here in Australia, I am at home and I am talking to you. I don't have a job as such to give my time to somebody else. What I'm getting at is the decisions that I've made in the past have allowed me to live the life where I haven't actually worked for three weeks. And the last bit of work I did was up in northern New South Wales when I went and visited my parents, I happened to be able to say, yes, I can do this job, which was twisting balloons at a local market, making balloon creation. Yeah, what I'm getting at is um, I can essentially do what I want and not have to worry about money because I've got enough in the bank. I've got invoices that are coming in. If I didn't want to do the photography, that's okay because um, I'm not desperate for the money right now. And I know that I've got quite a few tours lined up in about seven weeks and another one in, towards the end of the year, starting in the end of end of August. Oh, that was the other thing is um, I broke my foot and I'm not panicking about work because, because of the decisions that I've made previously that have allowed me to be here in this absolute privileged position where I'm okay. Health-wise, I'm okay financially. I don't know where my next pay income check invoice is coming from. I did have a job in an office for a couple of years when my first son was born. And that was in the office of the circus school. And I didn't realize how nutty, how bad that was, how intense and the negative impact that was having on my relationship with my son and my relationship with my wife. And it wasn't until I left that I went, wow, that was really bad. It was really, really bad. And I thought, I'm never going to do that ever, ever again. The reason I stayed was because I had nothing else to go to. Um, I just left the circus and I had no other income. And I, I didn't know if I would be able to have any other income. And I had a mortgage to pay. I had just a new baby. And um, it's amazing what you can do when you have to do, when somebody else is relying on you like your son or your your, your kid, I, I had to leave. I knew I had to leave. I didn't know how I was going to leave, but I knew I had to leave. And then there was an opportunity where I was able to tour doing a theatre show and I did the maths on all the figures and income and thought, right, I've got to find, I think, eight weeks of work between July and Christmas time. 
and I should be okay. And I went with it. And it's kind of funny because as soon as you, as soon as I did that, then the opportunities started presenting themselves for other income. So for a number of years, I was balloon twisting. I was freelance performing, pretty much living week to week, month to month, and not, not having any idea if I'll be able to pay the mortgage, but also seeing that I could and everything was working out. It's a really, I think, a difficult thing and it's not for everybody to just see what happens because a lot of people want to know that they've got their income, want to know that they can cover all their bills, that they need that security. Whereas it's kind of fun. (laughs) You don't know what's going to happen. (laughs) It is an adventure. And that's one thing with the circus that I really liked because it was kind of fun and you never knew what was going to happen. I've been around for long enough. People who need to know, know where I am if they need a performer or they need my type of skills. I have enough people asking me to work that I don't. There's still photography work that I can do. And I know that there will be photography work that I can do. And if all else fails, I can go back to teaching. Yeah, I'm in a position where something's happened, I'm out for a bit, and I'm okay. Do you ever wanted to collaborate? Do you have I would love to collaborate. Well, I think there's two things there. One is that you're creating your own games, and I just think that that's amazing. It's like I I do not have the creativity or the skill set to even think about creating something like that, and that's probably why I don't. Um, So I, I, I really admire um that you can do that because I know that there's just no way I can't. I always wanted to perform with somebody. Um, it's why I, why I do like the circus because you are performing with people. Quite often it's with people that you would normally associate with. That was something quite, pretty amazing about Circus Oz was where the, the backgrounds of everybody were so diverse. It was just incredible. I can't just wait around for somebody else. I've got to get my own stuff together first. And I'm sure when that happens, then I will, if I leave myself open, I will be able to meet other creative people and and do amazing things. Are you tempted to reach out to R.L. Osborne? I haven't reached out to collaborate with him about it. Have you watched his videos? I do. I think the foundation is there that I can now reach out to him and say, hey, are you up for this? That's cool. Which is... I think I discovered you and I discovered RL's channel pretty much in the same week as I was reigniting my own BMX journey and um, his reuniting himself with his bike. And of course, he was this God figure on a bike back in yeah when yep. we were kids. Um, but seeing him reunite himself with the bike and the struggles that he's having with it all. And again, that resilience, that's really inspiring that he would fall down, but he'd get back up or. There's something there. And um, I think it's super important that us BMX riders uh, from back in the day, from the eighties, potentially these days, there's a lot more about failing and about doing the wrong thing and making a mistake and not wanting to wanting to make a mistake, particularly like with a lot of kids that I've taught in high schools recently. And it's almost like they will actively put themselves in a position where they don't do the work so that they don't make the mistake. So they don't get laughed at by their friends or their peers, or they don't feel embarrassed. And it's a, I think there's a weird thing now, probably it's more potentially they see people doing these amazing things on YouTube or TikTok or or Snapchat or whatever they're using. And they try and do something that's not as difficult 
but realise pretty quickly that how hard it actually is and that they've got no chance of doing it. So if they've got no chance of doing it, how can they possibly ever do something like this? So just don't do it at all. And that seems to be a massive culture, at least in Australia, of just not even trying. And I think that's got a lot to do with it, of the ability to be okay with making a mistake. Like when I'm teaching circus tricks or when I'm at school, like I, I try and tell, I tell the kids, make all your mis- make as many mistakes as possible because now it's okay to make mistakes while you while you're young and you're at it's school. Safe it's safe to do so now, yeah. It's it's safe to make mistakes, and yeah. we want you to make mistakes. I do want to thank Absolutely. you for your time. I want to thank you for everything. It's, oh, you're very welcome. <laughs> it's just very for reaching welcome. out and saying hello. Yeah, it's so great. I love to get back to Texas again. I oh had yeah, such a good time. We, we will house you. Over in San Antonio, I'll, I'll show you the city and we'll have a, a bike circle jam and everything. It'll be awesome. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, well thanks, thank Scott. you very really much. Appreciate Sorry. your time and I certainly appreciate your video. So keep doing that and uh, I'll be in touch with you soon. All right. Well, take care. See and you, friend. I'll, we'll talk soon. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye.